welcome to Arrested DevOps episode 26, Database, the Elephant in the Room. I'm your co-host, Matt Stratton, at Matt Stratton on Twitter. And I'm your co-host, Trevor Hess, at Trevor G. Hess on Twitter. Arrested DevOps is brought to you by 10th Magnitude, a cloud services company that figures if you are listening to this podcast, then you're pretty cool. You can find out more about joining their cloud services team at 10thMagnitude.com. This episode is sponsored by PagerDuty. PagerDuty eliminates the noise, chaos, and manual processes across the entire incident lifecycle to decrease resolution time. PagerDuty is trusted by companies like Etsy, Nike, and GitHub. To sign up for your own free 14-day trial, visit arresteddevops.com pagerduty. This episode is also sponsored by Redgate Software. Redgate makes the tools that bring the benefits of continuous delivery, safe releases, efficient development, and fast feedback to your database. Find out more about the database lifecycle management and download free trials at arresteddevops.com slash redgate. If you're listening or watching this live, please feel free to share your questions and input about databases and DevOps and all the things we're going to talk about. You can hit us up on Twitter at arresteddevops, or we're always on IRC on freenode.org in pound arrested DevOps. Data. We can't have applications or services without it. If software is eating the world, then the data is the maitre d'. However, it can be challenging to incorporate these database design and releases into the world of continuous delivery and DevOps. We're joined today by Grant Fritchie and Jonathan Hickford for a discussion of DevOps and databases. Grant, you want to introduce yourself? Sure thing. Uh, my name is Grant Fritchie. I am the Scary DBA. I uh, work for Redgate Software. I'm the product evangelist there. My background is I've uh, been a full-time large-scale enterprise-level DBA for about 20 years. Before that, I was in development. I think the biggest shock I ever had when I became a DBA was the fact that they didn't put databases in source control. That really freaked me out. Thank God we've got it fixed. Awesome. Thanks, Grant. And then, uh, John, can you introduce uh, yourself and tell us a little bit about your background with uh, databases and the DevOps? Hi, yeah, I'm John Hickford, and I'm a, yeah, I'm a product manager at Regate, and I work on the tools that we produce to, to help people bring the benefits of continuous delivery to the database, source control and um, uh, integrations and deployments. Before before my time at Regate, I worked in a development team that was, well, quite literally a DevOps team. We wrote code, and we were responsible for that code and looking after it when it was in production as well. So I've had a, a reasonable amount of experience, both in terms of trying to write code, uh, deliver features fast, and also to look after what's happening in production as well. But let's, let's get started thinking about, uh, we want to talk both in terms of continuous delivery about databases, but just in, in terms of a DevOps environment. So what do you think, when we think about releasing database changes, DevOps or no, just in general, what are some of the major issues that come up to people when they're trying to do a database release? It, number one, it's data persistence. The fact of the matter is, is that um, releasing software, while not easy, don't get me wrong, is very straightforward by and large. You take an old piece of software, you throw it away, you put the new piece of software in, you're done. Databases, we could do the same thing, but then the phone starts ringing because the business is freaking out because there's no more data left in the system. I would say our number one issue and, and, and the thing that causes all of the problems is the fact that we have to persist the data. It cannot go away. And, and that just, it changes what we can do, it changes how we can do it, and it's, it's the, you know, the elephant in the room, as you guys already pointed out. 
There are also challenges, I think, around the fact that the data comes from multiple places. So it might be that some data comes from the production system, so data that's perhaps generated by users, but there's also configuration data, data that's coming in from development. And quite often, all of this data is flowing in the opposite direction to the way, the way your code changes are flowing in a pipeline. So whether as code flows from development from production, data is quite often flowing in both directions. That makes it really hard when you're making a deployment, or even if you're undoing a deployment, you've really got to think about where that data is coming from. That's true. It's more than just schema. I mean, I think that's that's a challenge I know I've encountered helping with release applications and work like that, whereas this, this idea that a database change is not just as simple as, okay, well, now I'm putting a new schema in place or adding some sprocks, right? You know, it's the information in it, you know, and how do you version that, right? <laughs> it's, exactly. It's kind of always, it's always rolling, right? The, the it's trucks always, are always moving. It's always changing, and it's not always at the same place as trying to read from it as well. Quite, you know, quite often your database might be being accessed by multiple applications. You might have BI jobs, and if you make a change to your database, you've got to be, you've got to be really confident that you're not going to break something that depends on how that database used to look or the way the data used to be stored. Or even the fact that things are on the fly. I mean, stuff's running actively, and, and you've got data changes coming in, and you're, say, adding a not null column, and you've got to do data migrations as part of the deployment. That also has an impact on the production system, can cause th you know, downtime, slowness, all kinds of other issues, and, and it, it, just, it just keeps boiling back around to the fact that, that um, because of persistence, data, data is a difficult thing to deal with. I mean, I think at least part of the whole push for NoSQL and you know, these ID value pair non-structured storage, while there's some excellent, excellent, excellent reasons for doing those things, and I'm in favor of them, one driving reason is this difficulty around database deployments. If you have an unstructured system, heck, just put in whatever you want and off you go. It just, but then you lead into other issues that where you may be putting in an unstructured system in a place where you really kind of need structured data. It's very true, and lots of the same challenges apply regardless of whether it's a, a NoSQL or a SQL database in terms of making sure that those changes are, are you know, have been tested on the way and that you're not just finding out about problems in this kind of last mile. Um, right. Uh, well, I mean, that's I mean, that's a pretty common thing. You'll see a lot of a lot of DBAs prefer this method, and it makes me insane as a DBA. Is that oh well, you know, I'll just look at the script the day before it goes to production, and it'll be fine. And it, it's like you. So you're telling me the first time you're deploying the script, the very first time is in your production environment. Good job. I'm sure nothing will go wrong. <laughs> This is a thing, like, when I think back to, you know, the olden days of, like, you know, five years ago, before <laughs> I had started to learn DevOps, you know, what it was like, that was one of the things that I'd run into is, you know, the DBAs, were, you know, their job was they, so when we would do releases and they would execute these scripts that were part of the release, so it'd be like, okay, here's our long document of how do we release this version of the application. Okay, tech ops, copy these 3,000 files here and there and change this registry key and do this thing. And then DBAs are going to run the, here's the scripts. And those scripts would be put into version control. So yay that, right? At least no, there's always in CMS. <laughs> but, but then things would happen, and we'd kind of talk to the DBAs, and be like, they're like, well, the dev developers gave me the script, so my job is to run it. And I'm like, if you didn't look at them and understand what they did, then why was there any value in you pushing the button other than the dev, right? Like, where's that? <laughs> and I think that's kind of the beginnings of, like, how do we get our 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 DB ops folks like integrated into this more cross-functional thing. Cause otherwise it doesn't, 
I, I don't want to say they're not providing value, but in the release part, it's actually not providing a lot of value if you're just saying, well, because I have a different title, I push the button. Well, I mean, I, I would say they're not providing value. I mean, and, and I'm saying this is a DBA. I'm not, I'm not throwing, I mean, if I'm throwing rocks, I'm throwing rocks at myself <laughs> and my people. So it's okay. It, it, the thing that I found, and, and, and I found this out the hard way, right, is we, we had the setup where we would like, oh, well, you know, I'll do the review before it goes to production. And so it would be Thursday, I'll get the script. Friday, we're going to production. And Thursday, I'm going, uh, guys, this is not going to work. Here's why. Here's all the things we have to change. So we're not going to go to production tomorrow. And they say, too late, Grant. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and it's, you literally can't stop a deployment. You can't stop it the day before it's going to go. Right, it, it's going. You, you're get on board, baby, because we're going. So what you have to stop is bad development, which means getting into the whole DevOps thing, making that step into the development system, go into the scrums, go into the standups. You know, know what's happening. You know, six months before you're going to production, six weeks before, six days before, not six hours. Especially, I think, in a continuous delivery system, the, the sooner you can get that feedback, the better. What you, you know, the, the core principle of continuous delivery is getting that fast feedback. Right. And the last thing you want is to find out about a, a data problem, as you say, before it goes into production. Especially if that change could be made in development and tested and, and run multiple times before it even gets to production. That way, you can be really quite confident that your production deployment. You I mean your production deployment should be boring. Um, it should be right. no surprises. It should just happen. It, it, you should you should be really confident that everything that you have you know can possibly have done has happened beforehand. And it is hard. It's really difficult doing that, especially the data. I'm going to steal that and use it in my presentations from now on. It, <laughs> everyone always asks me, you know, how was your plane flight? Boring. You know, because you don't want an exciting plane flight. Yeah. <laughs> how was your How was your production deployment? Boring, because you don't want us an exciting production deployment. You know, it goes back to right the same thing. When something's painful, do it more often. Still, because that'll make it stop, make us want to make it stop being painful. The the thing is, again, and I'll kind of you know going back to like you know what Grant was saying before about how, in some ways, like releasing applications is simple or simpler. Than, than releasing database. So then I think what we do is we shy away from this. And I mean, this even came up, we did on episode 15, which was our continuous delivery episode with, with Jez Humble. And he even said, he's like, this is the thing that we kind of don't talk about a lot. And he's like, and we are talking about like, even Facebook doesn't really tell you how they do it. And that's, they'll tell you everything else. But then it's kind of like, Facebook DBAs are markedly quiet, you know, so. There's not a lot, as much conversation around this, and that, I think, is why people want to hear what we are are looking to talk about. Grant, when you started introducing yourself, you talked about getting your database into source control. And when we talk about continuous delivery and source control, when we're pushing code changes to the database, you know, data is special. What are we, what are we forgetting? What are we, how do we get there? Well, I mean, step one, uh, and, and, and this sounds bad coming from a tool vendor, <laughs> you've got to get, get tooling around it. Now, there's uh, there's a lot of other tools. You don't you know you don't need hours. There's other ways to do this, but you've got to put tooling in place. There's not a a I cannot fathom a, a, a manual method for getting a database under source control. You've got to have some tooling in place. The main reason being there has to be the ability to generate differential scripts, scripts that 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 will make changes to your objects in a way that, that's intelligent. It's not, 
you can't simply have create scripts and and then rerun those over and over again. There's no there's no way to make that happen. You've got to have an alter script. You've got to have you know migration scripts that that move the data around. And then you've got to have a mechanism to automate putting all these together. And the main way you're going to get that done is tooling. So yeah, you're going to look at you know us. There's you're going to look at other vendors, but you've got to have that ability not only to get the database into source control in some fashion, whatever that might be, but then to get it out of source control in an automated fashion to your multiple environments so you can go from version 1.0 to 2.0 in a meaningful way not constantly creating 1.0 over and over and over again i mean one of the things i my main pushback on on orm tools for example is not the code they generate although there is some instances where that code is heinous and evil my <laughs> main pushback on them is the fact that they're only able to release 1.0 style code. Most of the time their DDL, their data -day, database definition language stuff is create table. Cool, but if we've got data already in existence, then we have to persist that. We can't let it go. You've got to give me an alter table or and or you know a, a create a new table, migrate the data over, recreate the data, and, and you get the ORM guys going, well, um, here, right? Our DBAs handle it, right? That's, that's the answer I've, I've heard so often. And so that's my big pushback there is that we're not then using the, the tools we have available and we're not then following repeatable processes that are going to allow us to automate things. And it, it's, it's capturing those changes through source control and then having that, that tool which allows you to generate that migration script that makes all of this possible, it allows you to move into the direction of uh, you know, automated deployments. I mean, and there's a whole slew of uh, detail around that we can talk about if you want. Um, you know, pre-deployment, post-deployment scripts, dealing with security, um, you know, and then the testing automation to ensure that you've got, you know, you, you know, you think you had 100 rows, you still have 100 rows. That kind of thing. I mean, it's just it just goes on and on and on. Yeah, I think, I mean, I completely agree with Grant there and that the foundation for all of this is getting getting your database into source control because once you're in source control, you can then start to repeat things. And once, if you can automate that process, then you then you can really focus on making those changes in a way which is going to have the least impact into production. You can start thinking about writing changes in the same way that you deploy them into production, in the same way that you deploy them into your local development environment and then to a test environment. And that way you get to test these changes, these, you know, these quite complicated data changes. You, you might be, say you're refactoring a database, you want to make sure that when you get to production, that's that's not going to take three hours to run if you're running over millions of rows of data. And that's where the kind of continuous delivery patterns and practices and really thinking about how you're going to make that data change. How can you do it in a way that's going to keep downtime to you know, minimum or, or maybe even zero? Well, or even knowing that, hey, if I do this change, it's going to take three hours and I just need to know that up front so that I can I can schedule and deal with it accordingly. I mean, it, it's, it, it comes back down to knowledge. I mean, it, it coming from a known state source control, going to, you know, the only other known state you have your production system, you've got to have a mechanism for, for making those migrations smooth, right? You, you've got to reduce the pain. It, it, you can't eliminate it, but, but it has to be smoothed over. And I think especially when we think about that, because you, you kind of get into this idea of the myth of rollback, right? Like, it's happening, you know, and we don't have this magic, like, 
push the DeLorean 88 miles an hour and we can, that's, that's the only way you can roll back a change in my mind. Right. Is, you know, get back around. And so all the more reason that knowing you can't go back and you're always going forward, you know, so we think about, you know, uh, Grant, you think about saying like, we need to be continually testing our deployment so that it's boring. And then part of that is testing like back before I, you know, when I back when I believed that I could go back in time, I would say, well, we need to test our our back out, right? Like, because that's part of it. That's part of it. Saying, well, what happens if you know if shit's on fire? What do we do? And of course, we never did that. You know, we just talked about it, but ran out of time, as 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 one does. But part of that, but that's your your, your the blue beauty of CD, right? You know, is that you know things are going to be on fire while you're releasing them, and then you're going to find them early. You're going to say, oh crap, when we push this, it blows up. But the answer isn't, okay, well, let me just go recreate the QA environment all over again. From I'll re- re-image it and start it over because you're not going to be able to do that with prod. So I just kind of want to think about that, about how do we test our deployments. And then also, t- and then that kind of goes probably part and parcel into automated testing of data changes too. You know, um, if different pieces of my app are being released at different times, how can I focus on data testing in an automated way? The biggest thing about the biggest thing about like the rollbacks is, is that you're you're 100 correct. You've you've got two methods of rollback that are actually going to work, and one is is to either you know do a restore or uh, undo a snapshot, you know, uh, of stuff that immediately after you've done the release. Oh my gosh, everything's died. Let's let's undo what we did. Or the myth is is that you have this script that can you know target bits and pieces to roll them back and that's just such a lie because the data comes in over time and ain't nobody wants to get rid of it so you've got to have the ability to just redeploy again so that's what that's why devops automated deployment continuous delivery is such a huge win is because the change is going to happen anyway you're going to make those mistakes so you just incorporate that same process that got you to where you're going to fix the mistakes, if there were any. Talking about your QA and stuff, the, the one thing that you've got to do, and, and this is hard, is you've got to make your test environments as close to prod as you can. Now, I'll grant you, you've got 15 terabyte prod system. You're not going to have seven or eight different copies of that scattered across your dev environment to, for testing. Ain't going to happen. But you make it as close as possible. You you simulate it. If it's not exactly a copy, it's a close copy. It's got clean data in it, right? Get rid of the emails, get rid of the personal stuff, you know, so you're not going to, HIPAA is not going to come bring the cops down on you. But you make a copy of production, you test it as close as you can to production, and then you do that over and over and over again in your test environments. And yeah, I think sometimes it's okay to reset QA and go, wow, that burned down. Let's hit the button that automatically refreshes our, you know, simulation of production back down to our QA environment and then figure out what the heck we did for that deployment to make it deploy correctly this time. Yeah, I think it just can't be that that's our only way that we solve no. it because then we'll be no, screwed no. in prod. I also wanted to talk about this idea of replicating the data and, and production looking like every other stage. So, like, again, you know, going back to the the, the humble Farley Bible, right? It's every stage of your pipeline is exactly like production except for scale. And then that makes sense for data too, right? Like, so it should look the same, but scale comes into play. And I think about a former life of mine where we had, you know, a three and a half terabyte data warehouse when I was first getting started. And then we had, because of explosion of environments, had like 
nine nine product teams that each had a dev and a QA. You know, so I had like twenty some environments I had to manage. And then it was like, well, we can't possibly do this because we can't test everything everywhere because we can't put this whole data warehouse everywhere. And I was like, well, isn't there a way you can trim it down? Or even the transactional database was fairly large, you know, right. and multiplied times however. And I kept saying, you guys don't have to have the entire transactional database to get the functional point of that. And then it was, you know, my favorite meme lately is the whole, like, two the Lego dudes pulling the cart with the square wheel and someone has a round wheel and says this is better. And they say, we're too busy, you know, and that was sort of thing. It's like, well, we don't have any time to like figure out how to do test data because we're so busy, like releasing stuff. And I'm like, yeah, and it's all breaking. So, but I think that's the, the problem is that we think, well, I need to make it look exactly like prod and you're never going to get it exact. Maybe your, your, maybe your load testing environment probably has a size that's similar because again, you yeah, could man. run into that. We're like, Hey, my dev database was like 30 gig or like, like, you know, 800 meg. And then somehow it gets into this, you know, seven terabyte transactional database of fraud, and it's it's not performance. I don't know why. I think the key with your the key with your pipeline is to try and test. You don't necessarily have to trust everything in the same place. So you don't need uh, you don't need your, every environment to be an exact copy of production. But I think your load testing example is great. You want somewhere where you test for size and you're testing for the quantity of data. You want somewhere where you're testing for the complexity of data. Maybe that's a QA system, and then in systems that you need to make fast iterative changes on, you probably need less data there, but you want enough to try and catch things fast. Um, there's some great, there's actually some great diagrams. Um, if you search for visualizations of continuous delivery, there's a set of drawings that an engineer from Spotify did around uh, Jess Humble's book. And there's a really fantastic one around managing data and what size, um, you know, what, what types of data you might want to have in each environment. And there are, again, there are, there are tools out there that can help to some extent in terms of either subsetting data or generating data that looks like um, looks like your production data or, or masking data. Um, but you, you want to try and, you're absolutely right, you may not be able to have that perfect copy of production everywhere you want it. But there are things you can do to try and simulate that. I suppose as well as data, there's there's a tendency perhaps with the database that there are some things that you only try when you get to production. So things like you know sharding, if you're sharding your database or oh. if you're replicating your database, you want to try and test those as somewhere in the pipeline so that it's not a surprise when you get to production and find that there's a problem when you try and replicate the data or shard it. And there are ways that you can you can try and do little pieces of the puzzle as you go. I think so it's the, the short, fat pipeline rather than the, the long, thin pipeline <laughs> is, is, is better. How do you, this, this question came up in IRC, um, which was, and I think it, it goes right into what you were just saying, you know, about there's things you have to try in production just because you can't, you know, you can't emulate certain things, right? So, we t so in app code, we talk about blue-green, right? You know, we're like, oh, cool, okay, so I'll bring up a little bit over here and a little bit, you know, that'll, you know, and I'm going to send 10% of my traffic to, you know, this one web server that's running the new code and everything. How do, when we, when, but, but data, data changes can kind of squirrel this all up, you know, <laughs> both in terms of, of letting, of, yeah, like how do you kind of blue-green a database change? So I think it is possible to, to, to do this and, it is thinking a bit about the patterns by which you make a change. So I know example might be trying to split a column or split a table when you've got terabytes of data. You're not going to be able to do that in a single go. That's going to take a long time. 
but if you can build applications or data access layers or abstraction that's going to let you deal with both versions of this data, then you've got a chance to run this, test this in a few servers, test this in a few different places. Maybe you synchronize that data slowly out of band at, at quiet times, or maybe you slowly roll it out to more and more people. But it is about, I suppose you're right, it's around thinking about how you can make a change perhaps in a different way to you might make the change if you weren't doing a continuous delivery or an automated deployment system. I think it's hard to sometimes convince, or to, I guess it's changing of the thing, but convince folks that like, cause some of this comes off like as tech, tech stories, right? Like, hey, I'm gonna build this shim web service that helps me get this change out there and then we're gonna throw it away. And that's, a, that's an agile thing too, right? It's like, hey, you may do work that gets refactored or that only exists to get you over a hump. And I know sometimes within product groups that can be really hard. They're like, wait a minute, you know, you're in there, you're doing your scrub. What'd you do today? Well, I, you know, was working on blah, blah, blah web service, which abstracts a data layer so that we can do this. Well, wait a minute, why are you doing that? We have this user story that has to be done. And so I think it's getting this, and that's getting into that whole like cross-functional thing that it's okay to have work that gets thrown away if it's accomplishing something better. And like shims are like that, right? They don't, they're not an ongoing thing, but you have to think you have to think that it's okay to build a bridge that eventually the stream's not going to be there anymore, so you don't care about the bridge. I guess it's a it is one of those kind of continuous delivery and DevOps views where you know you know you're where you are embracing a view where it is more important to be able to release. And that's you know that at any time is more important than what you are able to release. So it's more important that you can make that change than perhaps you make you know, 10 changes really, really quickly, but if that leaves you in a state where you're not able to deploy, then you've kind of strayed a little bit from from that core principle of, of being able to release at any moment and every change is good enough to go. So speaking of <clears throat> releases, uh, it, it, as a developer, we, we've got the kind of the concept of the blue-green release of, of application code. How can, I, how can I accomplish that with database schema changes? Badly. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> I, I've tried doing that. I, I'll be I'll be honest. I have never really successfully done that outside of a. Um, I've done it for data marts and for um, um, you know, reporting systems where I can control the data as it comes in directly. It, it's actually pretty easy to do. But in OLTP systems where the where the data is live, the data is messy and you're going to try to maintain two copies of it, either in tables or in different databases. Um, you're either setting up replication, you're setting up triggers, and you're digging a deep, dark hole. And best of luck to you. Um, there, honestly, I, I, don't, I don't have a good answer on that one. Um, I've, I have just found, I found the blue-green AV stuff to be uh, problematic. Um, and problematic to the point of, of, you know, serious pain, not problematic of like, oh, God, I have to work. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I Jonathan, unless Jonathan's got some knowledge that I don't, and <laughs> I, more than interested Grant, to learn. This is, no, no, Grant, this, this is definitely where, uh, I think if your DBA is saying that the, the database is perhaps not the area to try and tackle that problem, they're probably right. So if, I guess there are, there may be I mean, blue-green deployments are obviously possible, and storing the data during them is obviously possible as well. But trying to tackle that specifically in your database might not be the might not be the easiest battle to to try and work. 
It, um, it is hard. I mean, I've done it again. I've done it with triggers where you, where you set up triggers so that it maintains two copies of the data, it maintains it in two separate tables while the, while the rollout's going on. And so the new stuff is going against the newer table structure. Um, anything that comes into the old stuff gets triggered over to the new. Same thing for the new stuff gets triggered over to the old. Um, it's just a, it's a massive undertaking and, and fraught with, with horrific danger. I mean, it's just really, it's Indiana Jones, man. And, and, most of us would not survive in the fridge when the nuclear bomb went off, I'm telling you. <laughs> and there are probably ways to achieve the same thing. Like if your business goal is to be able to switch between two versions through this blue-green process, then there are probably right. ways to do that while she's still using the same day space at the back end. So mm -hmm. it would be that version schemas or, or some, some way of switching between two different schemas um, without physically switching your data storage and your data persistence layer behind the scenes, as Grant says, which is phenomenally difficult. So I, I know that you two obviously spent a lot of time with DBAs, data architects, people who are, who are into all this data stuff. So what's what's that side of the industry or what's that area? How, what do they feel with this whole DevOps thing? Are they buying into all this hippy-dippy bullshit? It is a seriously mixed bag. I think that there's a number of camps coming out of it. There's there's one camp that one that upsets me the most is the camp that like oh man no nothing's wrong everything's fine we do we do our deployments this way and it's all we've always done our deployments this way and they just work and it's all great. And we have always been at war with East Asia. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And you know I think that that group of DBAs and data architects because I've seen it from both um, their heads are in the sand and. They're going to get burned, and they may get burned over and over again. They may be getting actively burned, and they're just they're so used to the pain that they're not they're not doing anything about it. Those guys are are it's just hard. You've got to convince them that they're in pain, and and you've got to document their pain and show it to them, and and you know and, and then say and hey, and by the way, you don't need to live with this pain. Here's a nice pill that will fix it for you, but. Other than that, there's a lot of there's a lot of people coming on board. A lot of people are starting to be very aware of it. It is growing. Um, there's a lot of cognizance of, you know, wow, yeah, we're really doing this really badly, and and the the developers hate us, and and I'm not enjoying my life. And every time we have to do a deployment, it becomes this, you know, 15 hour nightmare that I'm 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 in the office all day Friday and into Saturday, and it's like. You know, can is there a pill that can help me with this? And and it's it's catching on. It's just also the other hard part is you say, okay, cool. Now you need to go talk to your dev team. And and people, I've seen a lot of people just freak out because it's like I don't want to talk to those guys. They're crazy. Or worse so, yet, the dev team's kind of going, I don't want to talk to the DBA because <laughs> he's a jerk. And usually the DBA is, but. <laughs> so, what kind of documentation are you talking about here to kind of convince uh, convince them to take their pill, not the blue pill? You've got to you've got to document how how long did a deployment take? Was there downtime? Was there data loss? How long did recovery from the downtime take? How long did recovery from the data loss take? How much time was spent preparing for this deployment? Uh, specifically in and around your production server. Uh, how much time was spent recovering from this deployment in and around your production server? Not even getting into the dev, QA, and all the other servers and whether or not you've done manual processes through those, which frequently is occurring anyway, but but just let's, let's ignore all that for a moment and just talk about the pain in production and, and document all that. Then, 
On top of that, to make the dev team push for this more, document how much pain the dev team has gone through to get, you know, to hop through whatever hoops and, you know, flaming circles that the DBAs have erected prior to their production environment and get, get that documentation on both sides. And so you can go up to management and go, look, here's how much time you're losing. And here's how much pain you're losing. Here's the amount of data we've lost, right? Here's the productivity we've lost. We probably should be exploring some solutions around this area and looking at continuously improving. There's a definite interest as well. If you, I'm thinking about the, the, the DevOps days and the conferences I've been to over the last year. And if I kind of count how many times in the Q&A session, uh, you know, Q&A after a session, someone will ask a question about the data. You know, maybe it's someone talking about uh, how they're using Docker or how they're, they've set up a infrastructure as a service. And, and then there'll, there'll be someone asking, what are you doing about the data? Which usually sparks a whole discussion. So I think there's a real, there's a real interest in both directions, you know, with a dose perhaps of healthy skepticism. That there's a real interest both from I think people involved in DevOps and from DBAs into making this work. And as as Grant says, there's a huge amount of pain, and that pain's getting worse as businesses oh, yeah. become more agile. So you know, maybe once you're expected to release once a year or once every six months or once a quarter, but so many institutions, so many places now, it's becoming important to be able to release, you know, monthly, maybe even weekly. And if you can, maybe you can take that pain once a month, but can you take it every week? Uh, it's it's unlikely. Most people are, you know, really, really the the need to the need to change fast now is is so important. And if the data's the bit that's the bottleneck, now it's where people are starting to look and starting to focus. You know, what are the what are the patterns? What are the practices? What are the tools that we can that we can use here to make this easier, and and it is still a new world. This is a world of you know innovators and and early adopters still. But the one interesting thing is is that I mean speaking as a DBA and and speaking as a you know completely lazy bastard, I'm taking advantage of all the work the development teams have done. You guys have have figured out all kinds of cool stuff. I mean this whole you know your management of the source control systems, you know labeling, branching, you know the way the releases are controlled. This is all stuff that. I would have to go out and try to invent if I wanted to to release my database faster, but I don't have to because all I do is I you know I pick up Jess Humble's book, I pick up some of the other books, I read through them, I understand what it is you're doing, why you're doing it, and then I say, okay, well, how can I do this inside the database? And then I start working that way, and it and it's just uh, it's down to to more to labor than thought. I don't have to think about what to do or how to do it. You guys have already done that for me. I'm just, I'm just going to go in and do the labor to make it happen. It, it's actually a pretty cool situation to be in. You guys have blazed the trail. You guys have laid out the path. I mean, and I just got to walk down it and make sure my stuff works too, which, which isn't that hard. Not easy, but it's not. <laughs> so, so the other side of that, right? So thinking about from the DevOps, you know, like we kind of talked a lot about the, you know, there's automate, you know, a lot of this is going to help do the magic pills, right? You're like, okay, well, the things that suck and then automate, you know, there's automation and things like CD and things can help with that. But then if we kind of do talk a little more about kind of the reaction and thinking about like incorporating the data side of the house into that squishy side, right? And thinking about the, you know, the cross-functional pieces of that, because I think there's a lot of similarity between operations and, and kind of the data team, right? And that there's probably not enough people. There are definitely more app devs in your organization than there are DBAs, than there are tech ops. And that's 
So, right. uh, so like one of the, the classic challenges I think that comes up with the idea of being cross-functional is that you can't sort of say like, okay, in this product team, this is your dedicated DBA, you know, so are right. you, are you seeing folks being more involving these data ops teams uh, the same way that they're involving system administration? Cause that's, we kind of say, well, it's called DevOps, but really it's FQA, DataSec, BizOps, right? You know, right. How, how are organizations bringing the data people to the to the table? Well, what what I've seen, I mean, because I I started doing this before there was tooling for it. I mean, we had we had a, a I mean, I've been working in this. I don't want to say DevOps, but I've been working across this sort of let's automate our build processes for about ten years now because we were we were in really severe pain and and we're quite aware of it. And so what we had to do was automate the heck out of everything in order for me to be able to support 10 different development teams, which, which was a nightmare, I will grant you. But by automating stuff so that we had you know, automated builds, automated deployments, most of the testing could get done without my direct involvement. Um, I let my dev teams do a lot of uh, T-SQL coding all on their own. I let them use Entity Framework. I let them use Inhibernate. And I just had a review process where I could look at stuff as it was under development. So I only had to spend 15, 20 minutes a day per team checking to see what they had, what they were doing. And then other than that, I spent my time making sure I got backups and making sure I've got uh, you know protection on my production servers. And then and then you know and then I would only be called in at you know. Uh, on uh, oh my god this we ran this query in dev against one row and took five five minutes what the heck you know please help us and and that would be the only time I get directly involved except for you know scrums and standups so, so that I knew what was happening with with the team you know ahead of time but but it it, it is doable but it, but it's all about ma- uh, it's, it all comes back down to automation and management and a management of expectations right because you're not going to get the you know Here's your DBA full time. Talk to you later. That ain't gonna happen. Jonathan, you've probably seen other stuff that I haven't. Yeah, you see some. I've been really lucky in that this year I've been out and about quite a lot, visiting people who are trying to set up processes, and it's the the visits that I've been on where you end up with all the right people in the room. You've got a DBA, you've got a developer, and you've got the someone from from the sort of systems administration side of things, and they either they're trying to solve a problem or they're showing you an amazing solution they've come up with. And I'm always blown away by the way that you know, the things that people have set up when a, a team of people have got together and really tried to solve this, you know, phenomenally clever solutions and uh, people's stories about how how painful things used to be and how they all, you know, this, this problem has been solved now. But it needs it needs all of those viewpoints. You need people who are trying to get changes out quickly. You need people who are trying to safeguard the data, and you need people who are trying to trying to build a process that can that can do all of this. Um, and it is a combination of it's a combination of those three things that's going to create a, you know, a good, reliable process and let your business ship quickly and safely. I think something that can help with this too, because I, I just sort of had this thought that. In, in a lot of places or places I've been, I can see that in some ways your data team, they're almost like doing DevOps before there was DevOps in terms of when we think about, if we talk about DevOps being the like, hey, dev needs to give a shit about production and know about systems a little and 
sysadmins have to understand a little how the application works. Well, like probably a lot of DBAs are going, yeah, whatever. I've been doing that for my whole life, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know how to, you know, I got to talk like hardware to the, the sysadmins, but I also have to understand how the app works. So some of it might be nothing new to them. But what I was thinking about, and, and this question kind of came up a little bit in IRC, the, the question, you know, was, was being able to come up with some kind of common tooling, because I think it's hard if you have a whole dev team that's using, and I'm just threatened, that's using Git for their source control, you know, whatever. Right. They have a great thing around that. And then you go and the data team says, I want to do this thing, but I can't use our data tooling in that source control, so we're going to put all the data stuff over here in Perforce because that works better for me. And now you've got these, these silos. And even within a tool, I remember there was a point, and I don't, there was something with internal things about which group at Microsoft owned what, but it was a weird thing where, like, you couldn't use like the BI Studio tool, like it had its own TFS piece, but it it wouldn't work with newer TFS. It was a weird thing. We had this problem where our data developers couldn't use the same source control that our app dev did. And then you really have, I mean, you have a silo that's created by the tool. And what is that getting better, do you think? It's been a while since I've looked at this, but. It, I think it's gotten a lot better. Um, but but I'll, I'm going to let Jonathan handle this one because he creates a lot more of these things than I do. <laughs> um, I think it is improving, and it's improving everywhere. I think uh, there's the, the the vendors who are you know tools vendors like Reggae are trying to be more agnostic. And regardless whether you're you know, take Microsoft for example, um, whose uh, TFS system offers you, you know, a, perhaps a traditional linear source control system in TFS, but also supports Git. So there's a real drive, I think, for people, you know, for to to let people build these kind of heterogeneous stacks that are best of breed, and that it's more important that things kind of play with each other nicely now than it is that you just have, oh, you know, all of the database code has to be in this system. It's got its own proprietary source control system. There's uh, you know, the open standards are making a difference here in terms of letting people work in the same way. And it, it, the last thing you want to do is to introduce another silo, another division in this already quite sort of siloed and divisioned world. Uh, so if you can get everyone on the same source control system, that is by far, you know, that's going to break down problems much quicker. You can start to make atomic commits that contain both database and application changes. The this is, it's, pr it's probably a prerequisite for being able to do continuous delivery effectively. Other yeah, tools, I guess, like being able to see what's happened is probably an important one as well. So regardless of whether you're a DBA or a developer, being able to see you know, where changes are, what state your database is in, what, you know, what application version is deployed where. So this whole kind of category of you know, monitoring and release management is really important. Getting people using the same tools gets people talking to each other. Yeah, I mean, until we had everything in, inside of a, a common folder um, inside of source control, you know, in TFS, whatever, it it um, we ran into lots and lots of problems because it was it required human interactivity to say, now which version are you on, and which version of the database does that hook to, and okay, let's deploy. Oh wait, no, I'm sorry, that didn't work. Let's it's the other version. Try this one. Yeah, that didn't work. Go see what else you got. You know, <laughs> it's. If they're all branching, they're all labeling, they're all versioning together, then then it makes this, you know, again, not easy, but certainly easier. 
So we've kind of talked a bit about, about using source control, about using different ORM tools, migrations, uh, and now monitoring. Are there any other kind of pieces to, to bring, solving DevOps in the database that we haven't discussed? I think testing is a really important part of this. In the same way that you know testing is important within your application, making sure that you can test your database as well. So be that manual testing or integration testing, unit testing, um, you know, static analysis tests as well. There's, it's really important to, to, to get to get as much automation in there as possible. And that takes time. So that's, that's not going to be the benefit that you get on day one of implementing an, uh, an automated pipeline. But once you've got an automated pipeline, you can start to improve it and adding some testing in there. And there's some great open source tools. So you know, uh, SQL Server, there's T-SQL-T, there's you know, DBUnit in Java. There are ways of kind of testing your database. Um, and, and I'll let Grant talk about you know the, the, the benefits. You know, the, there are huge benefits you get like that from a from a, I guess from a sort of a from a product point of view. There are huge benefits in that you know that you're not introducing regressions, but then you can also build you know incredibly clever tests to ensure that your your data is being looked after as well. Well, and the trick there is is that you can't you can't look at the database the same way you look at code, right? Where you where you do the you know test first. Um, development, you're not going to create a test for your table, right? It ain't happening. You, you put a table in, that's cool. You're, you might create you might create unit tests for store procedures, but the more important tests you're going to be looking at are when I'm making changes that are potentially destructive uh, to data, I need to have a test built that's going to validate that stuff and, and ensure that whenever I make the migration that it, it moved the same amount of rows I expected it to move that the updated data looks like the updated data I expected to see, and having the ability to automate that stuff again, T SQL T, uh, you know, Sebastian Miney's um, massive work in, in T SQL T, that's a huge plus right there, and it it's the benefit of of assurance, it's the benefit of confidence, so that again, boring deployments to production, but you're only that's only going to come around. If you're making those those choices to test those things that are potentially dangerous, if you don't do the testing, um, and you're, you're just gonna you're crossing your fingers and running, so it it, it you know it's not it's not a good approach, and and it doesn't reflect well back to to, to the you know this the standard stuff around DevOps, the standard stuff around lifecycle management. It all requires testing to be built in, so you need to make sure that that's a part of what you do. Um, is that extra labor on top of what you do? Yes. But is that how you ensure that you've got the ability to deliver smoothly to production? Yes. So if you're, you know, if you're a good DBA, your your main focus is protection of my production environment. Well, one of the best things you can do to ensure you've got good protection is make sure you've got decent testing of the of the scripts and processes that are coming in. On top of that, as well, I think there's monitoring. So your your production database once you've made that change. You need to see what happens next. So, does you know the, the changes that I introduced this morning are they improving performance? Are they making it worse? Have have we forgotten something? Have we lost something during this time? Right. So, once that deployment's gone, you can't just leave it. And that, in particular, I guess, is a an aspect of being a DBA or working in operations that perhaps when you're a developer you forget about. And in a DevOps team. Continuing to monitor that performance and knowing, you know, is my application getting more and more performance? As I, uh, obviously, the, the, the presence of data can change the way that your application performs. It might work fantastically with a, a small quantity of data, but as it grows, things can really change. So just knowing 
how your database is performing can be really a, a real kind of indicator of how, how your application is healthy. But I mean, also it does come back down to develop. I mean, not developers. DBAs have got to start expanding some of their skill sets. You you do need to be looking at stuff like Team City, Jenkins. You know, some of the some of the um, control tools for for doing continuous integration because you don't want to build that by hand. Um, you want to start looking at stuff like Octopus, where you're going to be able to move stuff between environments, um, and not only move it between environments, but have environment-specific settings to allow you to have security settings. You've also, as a DBA, you've got to start learning PowerShell. It is the well, I'm sorry, for at least for SQL Server DBAs, that is that is the tool for taking control over what you're doing. Um, Although I know PL, I know some Oracle DBAs that don't know, you know, shell scripts either, and they should also be picking up that, those kind of skill sets. Um, the in the in the DevOps world, I mean, and, and, and it, we're all doing it, whether whether you want to say you are or not. Things are moving faster. You've got to have an expanded skill set. The fact that you know, you, I know how to do backups. I know how to set up security. Uh, I know how to manage disk space. That's great. Um, we can only automate all of that. So, what is your job again? <laughs> um, we we need you know expanded knowledge and expanded skill sets into further tools, into development, into all these other kinds of processes, so that we can you know get together with you guys and meet in the middle. Not not have this you know we're standing athwart the bridge, stopping you from going to production. That doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's the core of DevOps right there. Yep. You know, every you know, we think about T-shaped people. We think about whatever, but uh, this it's this comes up on Reddit, comes up in all kinds of places all the time. Which is, what's the thing I need to learn? Like, I want to be a DevOps. What do I need to learn? And it's like, well, first of all, you're not going to be a DevOps, but like, you need to learn a little bit of all the stuff. You know, so I think I think that was a really nice. Nice wrap up, Grant. So good timing because it's about time for us to move into our <laughs> into our checkouts. Just wanting, John, I want to give you a last any anything you want to build on that about what's the future of DevOps for data and data and DBAs. I think for DBAs and developers, it's the same. It is as we say, it's expanding expanding what you care about and what you know about so that you cover more of this life cycle. Um, and, and it's by by understanding what other people are doing alongside the work that you're perhaps more used to doing or more comfortable to know, comfortable doing. As you gain that understanding, you'll know who to talk to, how people can help you, and as you become more and more aware of the process, you can start to tailor what you're doing to become, you know, as a team, you become more efficient. And, and that's the DevOps change, and it's coming from all directions, developers, DBAs, sysadmins, from, you know, product management, for the business as a whole. People are learning to react to this much more agile world. Absolutely. I, I just want to add one thought, which is as much as, you know, DBAs and data architects need to learn about the other stuff, I, I do think that's something, and like you said, for developers, I think this is the thing for sysadmins, like we really could get better and smarter about how data works. And it's it's a lot of, like everything else, I feel like we know more than we think we do when it comes to that. We're aware of it. We just need to un, like be able to understand it and continually grow. So let's move into our checkouts, thinking about continually growing with some new things. So Grant, what what type of what, what do you have for our listeners to check out this this week? Okay, I've got two things. One, I'm digging Forza Horizon Two. Um, it's not quite as sophisticated in terms of simulation as the other forces are, but uh, you know, there's nothing like launching a Lamborghini into the air. You know, it's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a good way to relax. Continuously delivering a Grant, the you, uh, into the atmosphere, right? <laughs> Grant, did you ever play the Burnout series? 
Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That <laughs> was a great game. The other thing I'll point out is this uh, is this uh, novel called The Phoenix Project. It's all about DevOps and IT. So yeah, it's a novel. Relax. Don't worry about work anymore. John, you want to go into your checkouts? So um, for, for me, it's another it's another podcast. But don't worry, it's not in the DevOps space. Um, so oh, I'm, I'm bummed. I want more DevOps podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I've been listening to uh, 99% Invisible. It's a design podcast about kind of architecture and design, but I found it absolutely fascinating, so I definitely recommend that. Um, and then uh, in terms of the more database side of things, I've actually been rereading um, the book Database Refactorings, um, which is by um, Pramud um, Sandalodge, and that's, uh, it's in the Fowler uh, series of books. And uh, I strongly recommend that if you're sort of thinking about how to make database changes in a in a continuous fashion, it's a it's an excellent read. So yeah. I've got a couple, and I'm sure this first one is not anything new, but we all know that especially when it comes to anything related to games or gaming, I'm way behind. But I've just recently uh, purchased a Civilization Beyond Earth. I think it just recently came out for Mac. That might I think be it was why it's September. New. It came out. It came out. Period. Like it was new in September. Yeah. Like it's a thing. Oh, okay. I still well, haven't gotten super- it. I'm not super behind the times. So uh, I've been playing that. If you're, a, It's very much like if we're going to kind of go old school, It's I've been playing it kind of like, so this is Alpha Centauri. Well, that's the whole idea. <laughs> okay, so it's the Civ 5 version of Alpha Centauri, basically. So. Alpha Centauri is also a Sid Meier game. I know. I, I, know. That's, yeah, I didn't mean that. he was ripping himself off. I just meant like, <laughs> I was like, oh, it's like Alpha Centauri, but it's like updated for like Civ 5 right, that's, that's gameplay. Cool. Uh, I've been liking it a lot. Uh, I also went back and because of this, re, re uh, bought Brave New World uh, expansion for Civ Five and was really kind of chuckling at apparently there's a there's a unit you can buy which is the XCOM squad, which is a crossover to the XCOM franchise. And I don't know, but yeah, I'm I'm really liking Beyond Earth. I haven't haven't beaten it yet. It's it's pretty taxing on my 13 inch MacBook, and I got to tell you, I'm they're they're pushing the boundaries there, but it's been fun. Uh, also, uh, those of you who have little kids who are obnoxious this time of year, uh, there's an app on iOS. I'm sure there's equivalent ones on every platform. This one is called Video Santa. Basically, lets you quote unquote FaceTime with Santa when they're not behaving. And I used this last night, and my three kids just sat there and stared, and they all went right to bed. So I'm not sure how I feel about this, but lying, but telling your kids about Santa in the first place is kind of lying anyway. So that's cool. And I have one final podcast suggestion, which people on this podcast, listeners may not care, but my late, latest uh, podcast, uh, Fascination, is not Serial. I don't have to tell everybody about Serial. You know about it. But it's a podcast called The Gilmore Guys. And <laughs> uh, as a fan of Gilmore Girls, I've been enjoying this. It's it's two, two guys, one of whom has seen the show. The other one is watching it for the first time. They're both very, very funny. Um, but if you don't like the show, don't bother listening to it. That's also, they're super young. <laughs> And I sit there and I'm like, well, the reason you didn't get that reference is because you're 10. But that's okay. <laughs> so speaking of, Trevor. <laughs> oh, oh, you're going to find a way to work that into every episode now, aren't you, bastard? <laughs> you're 40 now, so. Uh, I, was gonna, I was trying to figure out a way to work your birthday into this, but I figured nobody's going to listen to this close enough to your birthday for it to matter. But. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I mean that your birthday. There's five people listening live right now, so so. There. Well, everybody who's listening should wish Matt a happy birthday on Twitter because it was yesterday. Um. Anyway, my checkouts are over over uh, the turkey time. I purchased a Wii U. 
uh, and uh, it came with a few awesome games, and I am super, super happy that I, I picked that up. Um, I've been playing Smash and Mario 3D World, and it's it's just been a delight. Um, if anybody wants to play with me, tweet me, and I'll, I'll send you my Nintendo ID. We can play Smash together. Um, and uh, secondly, uh, ReSharper 9 came out, and um, I'm excited because there's uh, apparently they added um, autocomplete, not autocomplete, IntelliSense for uh, regular expressions, which I hate. So the fact that there's a tool to make it so that I don't need to know regular expressions makes me very happy. Regex testers are the shit and super necessary. We have a newsletter, arresteddevops.com slash banana stand. My New Year's resolution is going to be to actually send out that newsletter on a regular basis. And when that happens, it will be the best way to know about upcoming podcast episodes and cool news with DevOps. Thanks again to our sponsors, PagerDuty and Redgate. And to our loyal listeners, if you enjoy listening to Arrested DevOps, we'd appreciate it if you'd visit ArrestedDevOps.com slash iTunes and leave us a review in the iTunes store. Thanks to Grant and Jonathan for joining us. Be sure to check us out at ArrestedDevOps.com or at ArrestedDevOps on Twitter or I, in IRC at pound Arrested DevOps. On Freenode. So, and also speaking of loyal listeners on Twitter, I want to give a shout out to Matthew Skelton, who's at Matthew P. Skelton on Twitter. He's been providing some pretty great real-time feedback to this episode on Twitter as we've been going. He's also given us lots of feedback on, on the show in general, which we really appreciate. So mm-hmm. thanks, Matthew, for all of that feedback and, in, feedback and input. And we're always happy to get your input ideas or feedback at shows at ArrestedDevOps.com. I'm Matt at Matt Stratton. And I'm Trevor at Trevor G. Hess. We're arrested DevOps, and remember, there's always DevOps in the banana stand.